0: Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now.
1: Guys, I'd like to start our Bible study off this morning with a sort of a humorous story. It's about an older couple who had been married a long, long time, and it goes something like this. The old couple was sitting there by the fireside and he looks over at his wife, the old man does, he looks over at his wife with this romantic look and this romantic thought and he says to her, now you remember, it's he's been married 50 years, okay? And he looks over and he says, after 50 years, I've found you to be tried and true. Well, his wife's hearing wasn't that great. And so she looks at him and she said, what? He looks at her again with a romantic thought and says, after 50 years, I found you to be tried and true. His wife then looks at him and says, well, after 50 years, I'm tired of you too, she says. That's pretty, that's pretty true after 50 years. I guess the moral of that is what? Check your hearing or something. But be careful. Be careful because this morning, guys, we're talking about marriage. We're talking about marriage. We're continuing our series called The Making of a Marriage. We've got today and then next week. And I know next week is Mother's Day. And the one thing you can do is invite your moms. Um, normally I do, uh, special teaching, but this is, this will cover that next week. And um, today, we're just going to talk really about the family unit, right? Family matters. And um, if you're taking notes, jot this down. Uh, these are the two points we're really going to cover. We're going to cover um, leaving the father and the mother, which is the model, if you will, of a complete family, the way God sees it. And then number two, it's the starting of a new family where we're being joined and attached to our wife, something very, very Interesting. Now I know what you're thinking. You're going, "What's that?" You're going, "Ben, why are we talking about marriage? Why are we talking about marriage?" Well, here's why. Listen. We have to talk about it specifically in the church. You go, know "Why?" Because when it comes to marriage, church, I believe they're under the most vicious attacks that you'll ever imagine. You go, "Well, pastor, I'm not married." Okay, but listen, your walk is going to be attacked the same way. So allow allow the principles that we're going to talk about here in the next few minutes to just speak to you in your walk with God, okay? Both marriage and your walk with God. Well, you go, why are the marriages being attacked? I mean, I get that, right? Well, here's why. The concept is easy, okay? Marriage is meant to illustrate Christ's relationship with the church, and it's actually based on Ephesians 5, 31 and 32. Paul writes, and he actually quotes Genesis when he says, for this reason... A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And he says, "This is the great mystery." But I'm speaking concerning the concerning Christ and the church. So he's saying, "Listen, it's this beautiful picture." Your marriage is a beautiful picture of, of what Christ is wanting to illustrate in the word of God, that you and I as believers are the body of Christ. We're the bride of Christ and we're waiting for our husband to come get us because we're ready to go and have this amazing relationship in heaven. That's what it says. And so your marriage is a picture of that. So when your marriage is a picture of who God is, who Christ is, he wants to attack that. And he'll use certain tools. As a matter of fact, as I was looking through this, I said, Lord, what are what are some tools that, that marriages are being attacked with? What are some tools that Satan uses? Well, I found an article that kind of sums it up. It's written by a fellow by the name of Chuck Lawless. And he states this, quote, I've studied spiritual warfare for more than 20 years. And I've continually reminded how the enemy attacks Christian marriages from the Garden of Eden back in Genesis 3. He has sought to lure individuals and couples into his trap. He wants to weaken and destroy marriages. Listen to me. He delights when children are wounded in the process. Without suggesting a devil made me do it philosophy, he says, I've compiled a list of the enemy's primary tools that we've seen over the years. If you're taking note, you're going to want to jot these down, okay? Number one, when the enemy goes to his toolbox to try to destroy your marriage, even before it even happens, okay, even before, when he wants to, this is the first thing, this is the first tool he takes out. You ready? Jot this down. It is neglect. That's the first tool, neglect. You go, Pastor, I'm not sure. The same couple, and you might have seen this happen, the same couple that spends all of their time dating grows apart after the wedding day. The neglect is very subtle, though, which is the way the enemy often works. You see, first of all, it was like, oh my gosh, Peter, I love you too. You know, you hang up. No, you hang up. No, you hang up. And then you get married and what happens is it's like, you know, you just sort of kind of drift off on your own ways. And it's that neglect. And it's that like, yeah, you know, she knows I love her. We're in a relationship. I don't have to tell her every My goodness. And that's one of the tools that Satan uses. Now think about this. Think about this in your walk with God. Is it not the same thing? In your relationship with God, so many times people will say, God, I just, I give my life to you and you're fired up. But then in your walk, you sort of drift away from God and you begin to neglect him. When was the last time you read the Bible? I don't know. Where is my Bible? Well, I got it on my phone. I got it on my, where's my phone? Oh, uh, you know, and that's the same same tool he uses. The same tool he uses to try to wedge in your marriage, he's going to wedge in your relationship with God. That's tool number one. What's tool number two? Well, he'll go to his toolbox and he says, sin. Sin is a good tool. You see, we can't get around this one. Regardless of whatever the sin is in your life, in your marriage, think about this, disobedience is, that weakens one's relationship with God also weakens your relationship with your spouse. You can't get around sin. You're, that's the one thing that's going to weaken your foundation. It's really, really hard to be totally on fire on a, on a vertical sense where you're going, God, I love you, and then be on fire with your spouse because when sin is involved, it weakens your relationship with your wife or your husband. That's a tool that Satan uses. Number three, if sin isn't enough, here's a good one. He'll go to his toolbox and he'll pull out tool number three which is blame. You guys have seen that, right? Blame. Don't blame me, blame her. That's what Adam did in the garden. And that's what we often do. We like to blame stuff on other people. It was your fault. It was you. And, and here's what a lot of people say. A lot of people say, well, I don't have to worry about changing. Why? Because it's my spouse who needs to change. She needs to change. She needs to change. And I'm thinking, this is crazy. Why? Why? In Genesis chapter 2, Adam, when he sees Eve, he's like, thump, 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 thump. Wow, he's speaking poetry. This is flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. He's just excited. But in chapter 3, he's not singing poetry anymore. You know what he's doing? He's blaming. He's like, God, the woman you gave me. Blame shifting. How do you go from poetry to blame shifting? We all do that. We all do that. And let me say this. When you start to blame somebody else, who are you really blaming? God. Isn't that what Adam said? God, is your fault. You made her. And so Satan knows blame. Think about that in your mind. Well, it's not my fault. It's your fault. Blame. These are going to help you. Trust me. Number four, you know what he uses? Selfishness selfishness. You see, too often couples commit themselves to one another until death do us part during the wedding ceremony, but then they live as if the other doesn't exist. Wow. Guys, you've seen it in your lives. You're like so excited and and it's like, oh, And then all of a sudden, when when you're married, you're like, you start living like the other person doesn't even exist. You're doing your own thing. Why? Because you're selfish. It's that selfishness in your heart. It's that, well, I'm going to do me. I've just got to do. And listen, that's a tool that the enemy uses. Now, think about it like this. That's a great tool that an enemy uses to those of us in our relationship with God. Why? Because we love to confess and say, listen, I am a Christian, right? But then we live like Jesus doesn't even exist. Uh, the term could be Christian atheist, right? You, you profess to be a Christian, but you live like he doesn't even exist. I mean, it's the same thing in marriage. That's a tool that Satan uses. How how about this one? And this is good. You ready? Jot this down. Number five, secrets. Anytime we are hiding anything, especially from our spouse, the enemy is winning in some ways. Hiding anything. Honesty breaks the enemy's stronghold. Secrets. Secrets. Okay, let's look at it both ways. Okay, let's look at it let's let's let's, to my right, let's talk about marriage, right? A lot of times we'll we'll in marriage we will have secrets because we're afraid that if we are honest it would hurt our our spouse's feelings. Oh, I'm not going to tell him that. Oh, no, that would just hurt us. Oh, I'm not going to say this. No, I'm going to hold this in because I don't want to start a fight in secrets, right? And the enemy's sitting there and he's laughing and he's like, ha, 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 Go ahead, right, marriage-wise. Well, the secrets in marriage eventually do what? Well, they eventually morph into when you have a larger family, And all of a sudden, you're keeping secrets from dad by saying, don't tell, don't tell, we won't tell dad about this because he's already stressed out and we'll just keep this, our little secrets. And then you build a secret, you build a secret, you build a secret. And you know what those secrets do, church? It weakens, it weakens the bounds of marriage. Guys, it's the same thing in our relationship with God. Now I'm to my left. And you go, how so? Well, listen, even though we try to keep secrets from God, he knows, but we sort of do. You guys know what I'm talking about? Have you ever played hide and seek with a two-year-old? You're right. What do they do? They cover their own eyes and say, okay, I'm hiding. And you're going, no, you haven't moved. Yes, I am. I'm hiding. And that's what we do with God. We play hide and seek, but we don't move. God sees it all. And we think we're hiding secrets from God. And, and that weakens our relationship with him, doesn't it? Number six, Chuck writes, anger. Anger is another tool. Many of us have lived this experience. Uncontrolled, unleashed anger can destroy the bond between a husband and wife, and you have to be so careful. And sometimes you go, I don't know where that anger came from. Guys, it's got to be in check because it's a tool that Satan uses, and all of a sudden you're going, why are we fighting? Boy, you got angry when I said Number seven, prayerlessness. A couple that does not pray together misses the opportunity to strengthen their marriage. In fact, their prayerlessness says that they can handle marriage without God's help. How many of you would stand before the pastor and go, listen, we're here just because as a pastor, but we think we got this. We don't need God's help. There wasn't a one of us that would say that. We all need, marriage is already hard as it is. You put two sinners in a room and you say, okay, now you're going to live together and be nice and don't fight. And you guess what? That's already hard as it is. But all of a sudden you get, you get where you're going, God, I just, I just, we just need to pray together. And, and guys, I would encourage you to grab your wife's hands and just pray with her. You go, man, that's just weird. Cause she, I know she's praying and I'm praying and we're all praying and it's good. But, but you want God to strengthen your marriage. And let me say this to you single folks here. If you're sitting here and you're dating and that's not part of your relationship, that's going to be the pattern for the rest of your relationship. Trust me. But then again, you don't want a young going, well, let's pray and and be phony. But prayerless is going to ask to strengthen, to strengthen. I know some folks that say, we just pray before we go to sleep. And I think that's great. And there's nothing wrong with grabbing your wife's hand. And guys, listen. I mean, when 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 you're praying for your spouse, or you're praying with your spouse, you don't have to pray for every missionary in China. You know what I'm talking about? It's you just pray with her. You don't have to pray. And God, I know we have to go to work, but we need to pray. And and you just list everything in the world. And 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 45 minutes later, she's like, I'm late for work. Just pray. Just grab our hands and say, "Lord, protect our marriage. Please, Lord, keep keep him safe, keep me safe. Bring us together, God. Strengthen our marriage." What was that? Ten seconds? Y- y- you guys get my point. You guys are very smart. How about this one? Um, if that's not enough, Satan goes to his bag and he pulls out the tool of pornography. Pornography. And here's the sad fact. Increasingly, both males and females are now in this. And it's blowing my mind, right? They struggle with that same sin. And what it does is it reduces human beings to an image and implies that our spouses aren't good enough for us. And listen, guys, we would be fools to think that people are not looking at this. Statistically, it says eight out of ten males view pornography. And I'm not sure what the women are these days. It's so readily available that it's a tool that Satan uses. And and, and you'll get some folks, and I women, I hope you never say this. I hope you never say this. You know, you, you've heard people say, Well, it's okay if he looks, he just can't touch. Or they'll say, He can read the menu, he just better not order. That's just wrong because that leads to certain thoughts in your mind and certain, and it reduces the intimacy of your marriage to just the act, just the act. And it's a tool that Satan uses. Here's another one, another tool he uses, number nine, financial fights. Financial fights. Most couples fight about money. And and you go, well, what about it? Well, some don't fight exactly about money. I'll tell you what they do fight, especially when they live for wealth and security, most often doing so at the expense of spending quality and quantity time with their spouse. So all of a sudden, it's like, we're not necessarily fighting that we don't have any money. Here's what we're fighting about. I'm going to make the money. Bye, baby. See ya. And we have to work, and we have to work, and we have to work, and we have to work. And really, let me ask you this, church. At the end of the day, God gives you 80, 90 years. You're laying on your deathbed. There's not a one of us in this room is going to say, man, I wish I would have just worked more. There's not. Man, I wish I'd have put in four more hours a day at work. You know what we would say? I wish I would have spent more time with my wife. I wish I would have spent more time with my kids. I wish, you know what? I'll never get that back. Listen, True confession, I'm living testimony. I I, I, thought, I thought growing up, and, and I'll show you why later on in our text, I thought growing up that, that saying love to my wife was was basically giving her anything she wanted materially. I was working, I'll, I'll work five jobs if I have to. She's, this is how I tell her I love her. And she's going, and we were missing each other. We're going like this because she's going, I want you. And I go, why would anybody want me? Let me give you money. And we were missing each other. And she would tell me, God is your provider, not your boss. And I thought, she's crazy. She doesn't know how a man thinks. But you know, at the end of the day, when I left that job that I worked so hard, you know what they said? Bye, see you later. And all those birthdays and all of those things that I missed because I thought, I thought my way was better than God's way. Well, Ben, are you saying that I shouldn't take my job seriously? No, work your job, but don't. Don't sacrifice your family on the altar of work for a few extra bucks. Because when you die, you're all going to leave it here anyway. Well Ben, we need money. We We got to we we got to go on dates and we got to go sit. Now listen, can can I just can I just encourage you to have a fun date with God? You go, how's that? doesn't cost you any money. Get a blanket, get two Cokes and some crackers and go over to the park and put the blanket down and spend time with your wife. It doesn't cost you anything. Oh, I don't know about that. See, again, it's just how we see things. How about this, number 10? One of, one of the things that Satan uses, guys, and you've known this, is, is offspring offspring trouble. From Genesis chapter 4, Cain's killing of Abel, the enemy has attacked our children. And too often, their struggles result in conflict between mom and dad. You see, the enemy will, will attack your marriage by attacking your kids. And what happens when they attack your kids is that if you don't have a good foundation, then you tend to drift away as a married couple. I don't know if you guys remember this, last night I was flipping through the computer, and um, it was 2005, and Natalie Holloway had went with her class to Aruba, and some of you remember that or not, and, and basically she she never came back, and there was a, I mean, $3 million investigation, the Rubian police, I mean, everybody got involved, and they couldn't find her, and still haven't till this day, I think it's 12 years later, and and i was reading through the article cuz i thought they had found some new evidence and so forth and and what i did find out was something that we were talking about natalie's mom had married um had married this guy named twitty in 2010 or or a little bit earlier on i'm sorry and um when when they went when they went through that whole looking for Natalie and stuff, I found out that now they had divorced, I think, in two thousand ten and went separate ways and so forth. And I thought, wow. I just wondered, I just wondered if the stress of of looking for their daughter and that would be his stepdaughter and and slowly they you know just drifted apart. We have to have a good foundation, church, because that's a tool the enemy uses. Number eleven, he says adultery. Adultery, Satan often does. He magnifies the temporary pleasure of sin over the devastating long-term effects of crossing that line. Families then pay the price for our bad choices. That's a tool he'll use. Hey, look, 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 it's so beautiful. Listen, and nobody will know. Go for it, man. Listen, she's flirting with you. Your wife doesn't flirt with you that way. Listen, she's calling you, she's calling you cutie and, and sweetie and honey. Your wife doesn't tell you that. Your wife doesn't even acknowledge you. Your wife doesn't even look at you anymore. Yeah, you know you're right. Listen, I don't, you think it would be too bad if I had a cup of coffee with her? And we're just friends, right? I like that she, finds me attractive. And guess what? For that moment, church, listen, for the moment of what you would feel like is temporary pleasure is going to bring devastation to the family. That's a tool Satan uses. And of course one of the tools he often uses is the last one. It's it's divorce. Divorce. I mean even with the exception clauses of Matthew nineteen I want you to know that we cannot conclude that God ever delights in divorce. But we know the enemy does. The enemy does. And he sits back and, 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 and he, he, he just laughs. But that's a tool that Satan uses. Now, let me just say this to you. You might be thinking, Ben, I'm single, I'm widowed, I'm divorced. How does this apply to me? But think about it in your walks with God. Think about it in your individual walk with God, right? You go, how? Well, I think you can be attacked in the same way, right? He uses neglect. He says, listen, you're saved. You don't have to get so radical. Don't read your Bible. Don't don't be baptized. Just relax. Well, definitely don't go to church because there's a bunch of hypocrites there. And And what we do is we begin to neglect our walk with God. And it's not real hard, guys. We're supposed to cultivate our walks with God, and the enemy wants to. use the same attack. You go, what else? Well, sin. What is? What happens when we sin? Pardon me. The enemy comes in and says, well, you've already done it. Look, God's already mad at you, so you might as well just keep doing it. You've already sinned. You've blown it. And he uses that, and he attacks you that way. Or what about blame, right? Here, here's a good one. Listen, guys, when, when things don't go right the way you think they should, what do we do? We tend to blame God. Well, God, if you would have, and if you just could have, and you should have, and that, what does that do? That weakens our walk with him. Why? Church, listen, listen, and, and, and please get a good understanding of this. We, we live in a broken world. You know, You understand? Life is fragile, and this world is broken and Jesus is going to one day restore this world to where it should be, but right now it's it's a it's it's fractured all over the place, and things happen that we don't understand, and we hope that god would would somehow and when it doesn't go our way, we blame him well if god was if God was god then and you've heard that well why couldn't god well? think about our free will. If God were to step in, then we wouldn't have free will to make the choice to love him or not. Then we'd all be robots. And that's not love, is it? Love is free will going, I choose to love God. But we live in a broken and fractured world, and I don't have time to get into it. But you can see how the the ones that I've given you are the same way it attacks your relationship with God. Even if you're young, I mean, they still, I mean, think about it, guys. I mean, pornography and your walk with God, even before you're even married, is going to destroy your marriage. Your wife is not going to do the things that the girl on the computer does. Your husband is not going to look like the guy on the computer. And it destroys that. So be careful, okay? Good application that you can grasp and grow with. So, we're covering marriage. We're covering one verse. We talked two topics last week. We're going to talk about two topics this week. Last week, we talked about maturity. You guys remember that? The mature, right? Mature in Christ, right? The mature man and the mature woman, and then we say something happens to them when you become mature in Christ. Now, let me say this to you: Some of us we say, "Hey, I'm a. I want to be a mature. I want to be a mature person in Christ." And sometimes that doesn't happen because until you're already ten years into the marriage, and you're like, "I'm already married ten years. I'm already married twenty years," but that's okay as long as you're growing in maturity. But something happens. It's called transition. We talked about transition, right? Something You're going to be doing something. You're going to be leaving something. You guys remember we talked about that? Well, we're going to talk about that here in just a minute. But remember, we're going to talk about family today, just a little bit of the family. And the two topics that I want to cover this morning really quickly are going to be the model of what we would call a complete family. Okay? You're going to be leaving the model of that family, and then you're going to be starting a new family, a new family. That's the difference, okay? So those are the two topics. Now remember, it tells us that Moses is the author, but Adam probably wrote this down. But he starts off in chapter 4, or in chapter 2, verse 4, where he talks about the history of the world. And then he goes over to verse 7, and he says, And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. So we go, Where did we come from, church? Dust. Where are we going to go when we die? Dust. The life that's in us actually comes from God. And that's what I hope is that I'm ready. I'm ready for my life, my soul, my spirit to be reunited with him. But then Adam found himself alone. Alone. I don't know if he was lonely, but he found himself alone. He had no suitable, no suitable helpmaker, no suitable person. He's looking around. And he's going, man, that's a cat. I don't even like cats. There's a dog. He's pretty cool. There's a duck. you know. And he's naming all the animals. And he's having a great time doing it. But he goes, man, there's something missing. And God says, okay, Adam, I've got something special for you. And he's like, what's that? Well, you have to take a nap. Okay. Takes a nap, right? And the Bible tells us in verse 22, he says, then the rib... Which the Lord God had taken from men, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. So Adam wakes up and he's like, Wow, that was a crazy I had this crazy dream that I had surgery and it's like weird, and now my side kind of hurts. And then he looks up and he sees he sees a woman and he's like, Whoa, that looks like me, only different. She's different, right? It says and Adam said, now, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. The word woman here in the Hebrew is isha, and, it, and it's similar to ish. And it, it, this is to teach us reflecting the fact that woman was derived from man, but it also means to be soft, Not only soft, but I think soft-hearted. God made our wives, men, to be soft-hearted. Not to be exactly like you. You go, how do you know? Has your wife ever cried at a movie? And you're looking at her going, why are you crying? You know? Because God made her to have a soft heart. My wife used to cry for the news. I Are mean, you crying for the news? It's news toughened up. No, no, no. Why? Because God, God doesn't want your wife to be this, the very same thing as you. Can you imagine two of you? I married someone just like me, and all we do is butt heads and fight. She says, why am I crying? You know, I mean, it's just silly. God knows us so well that he says, no, no, no. You know what? I'm going to bring somebody that compliments you. And someone who's soft and is soft-hearted. And so Adam's like, yes, that is flesh of my flesh. I bet he's even singing, don't you think? I mean, I don't even know where Adam got this stuff. It's like bone of my, how did you know it was bone of your bone? Adam, you were asleep. But nonetheless, and so what happens, he's like, man, I love her, wow, wow. Pitter, patter, pitter, patter. Wow, check that out. This is amazing. Boom, 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 boom. I want to spend the rest of my life with her. That's what he's saying. And then we come to verse 24 because he says, Therefore, here's what's going to happen. A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. You guys remember that? I believe this is the best explanation of marriage for us today because, therefore, a man. What is a man? Well, we call it a mature man or woman in Christ. Someone who's been born again, who's heard God, who's walking in Jesus. He's now ready to be married or he's ready to notice. He might already have been married, but now he is ready to take his relationship to the next level. He's a man. A man, a mature, shall leave. Who is he leaving? That's the transition. This is important, right? Because the Bible's going to tell us that he's going to leave his father and mother. Everybody give me an amen. Let's try this again. Everybody give me an amen. But he's got to leave some other stuff, doesn't he? Why? It's imperative. It's imperative. And last week we talked that not only is he going to leave mom and dad. Now some of you are going, I don't want to leave my mom and dad. I get it. We'll talk about that in a second. But he's got to leave something else. What's that? He's got to leave his past behind him. He's got to leave that past. If you don't leave that past, guys, that's the enemy is going to bring that up in your marriage at the most craziest times. And that will always lead to a fight, and a fight weakens your foundation in marriage. Leave the past. We all have a past. We've all done stuff we're not proud of. And when you say, I am mature in Christ, and you're ready to say, I do, or you've already said, I do, it's time to leave that past behind you. No matter what you've done, no matter who you've dated, that's done. Done. That is so key. It's also key for our relationship with God, is it not? Because that's what the enemy wants to do. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, guess what happens? You now become the bride of Christ, but the enemy wants to remind you that you're not worthy, and so he brings up your past. Do you remember when you used to? Do you remember when you used to do? Remember how silly you looked, man? Remember when you were partying so much? And he brings up all of the ugliness of your past. And there has to come a point. Do you remember... Do you remember our quote from last week? We are products of our past, but we don't have to be prisoners of it. And that's what the enemy seeks to do, both in our marriage and in our walks. He wants us to be prisoners of our past. Because you'll never move forward as a couple. You'll never move forward as a family if you're prisoners of your past. Is this getting to anyone? You know what I'm talking about? I mean, it's just, I'm thinking it's good. So you all either have to agree or wake up or something. But you know what else we have to leave? You know what else? We we, we have to leave mom and dad. We have to leave our past. But I'll tell you what, church, listen. When it comes to marriage and your walk with God, you have to leave the ideals of marriage behind. The ideals. You go, where do we get ideals? Hollywood. Hollywood, movies. You ever see that? In movies, I mean, it's like the perfect marriage in movies. And you sit there going, (laughs) <laughs> I want that, and you're looking at your boyfriend. You're like, you're not him, ah, you know. And and that's what you want. And movies will do that. TV shows. Very few, and you, very few of you in this room know what I'm talking about when I say soap operas. Okay, do you guys remember soap operas? Wow, I think they're still on. I don't even know. But soap operas were the social media back in the day, because the soap operas gave you the ideal relationship. Now, when I used to, when I was little and I would watch soap operas, not by choice, but that's what was on, here's what I noticed. Anybody? Let's see if I can get a witness. It's always dark in the soap operas. And it's like never light. And I'm just like, don't they have like sun there? And here's what I noticed. The husband and wife, the wife would be home looking perfect, and she'd be walking like this. And the husband would walk in and he'd come in with a three-piece suit and he'd have flowers for his wife and he'd be clean-shaven and he smelled good. And he'd say, sweetie, you want to... And, and I mean, that's all it was. And, and, and every household woman was like this. Oh, that's... And you could name whoever it was. Ideally, in your mind, the enemy was setting up going, this is how marriage should be. Then your husband comes home and he don't look anything like that, does he? He comes in and he's dirty, and he doesn't have flowers. He has his lunch pail, or do I put this? And you're like this. You're not Days of Our Lives. Go home. Get out. And and you see what I'm saying. And, and and so and so all of a sudden he doesn't he didn't even notice that you got a haircut yet. In the soap opera, he was like, "Oh, baby, you look so good." And he's like, and and you're like. Hello. That's not that's not reality, is it? Much like today our Facebook, our Instagram, Pinterest. You ever look on Pinterest and see this perfect perfect, I mean, wow. And and, and I mean, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, you're looking and going, "Man, My friends have like the perfect marriage. I mean, they're like all over the place, like selfie, click, click, and all of this stuff. And you don't know what's going on in their heart. And you're basing your relationship on their pictures? Leave the ideals behind. That's That's not what God has called you to be. There's not a one of us that ever takes a picture of our wife cleaning the floor, is there? Hey, baby, let me take a picture of that because that's true love. But that's a reality, is it not? That's a reality. Why? Because we, for some reason, we want to post the perfect picture of our lives and our wives and everything else in hopes that we get likes. But the reality is that's an ideal and that's not the truth. And we have to be so careful because we don't want to base. Listen, guys, please don't base your relationship with Jesus on what you see on Facebook or Instagram. Because a lot of people will, they'll do what? They'll put their Bible open. They'll put their cup of I Love Jesus coffee right there. And then they'll put their devotional. And then they'll take a picture. Devotions with God. And you get hurt because you're going, I don't even have time to have coffee. They're spending time with God and and oh look. Is that is that reality? Reality is listen, the bottom line is spend time with God but leave leave the ideals. I walked out of first service and and someone caught me and said, You know what? I'll tell you something else. You know what? He says, you know, ESPN. I said, ESPN? He says, you know what's really funny? I turn on ESPN, and he says, he says, they're supposed to tell me about sports, but you know what they're telling me? They're telling me about relationships. And this person divorced this person, and this person's seeing this person. He's going, I just want stats. And now ESPN's gotten that. Why? Because they know that we are, we're relationship-minded. We need to make sure we leave the ideals behind so we, can, we know what God wants us to do in our relationship. you go, what's that? Well, we're supposed to leave, right? Transition. We're supposed to leave somebody. We're supposed to leave our father and our mother. That's what the Bible says. You're supposed to leave your father and mother. So what does it mean? What does it mean to leave one's father and mother? Well, again, in context, this is born out of the lives of the patriarchs who seem to sometimes live with their extended families. It's very, very important okay, that we get it in context. So if you're taking notes, let's just say that we're supposed to leave the model of what we would call a complete family, a complete family. And you go, what exactly does that mean? Well, I would believe it's the God-ordained metaphysical union. That's what he's talking about. Why? Because there's no such thing as the perfect mom and dad that you're supposed to leave. I wish there was. I wish that you were supposed to... Grow up and see your mom and dad live godly Christian marriage so that you had a great way to model yours and that way and your wife had the same thing and you simply came together and it was amazing. But that's not reality, is it? The reality is there's a lot of people in here going, man, I came from a broken home. My parents divorced when I was a baby. I didn't see my my dad left. What do you what do you mean? I'm who am I supposed to leave, mother? Well, God says, listen, here's the here's the complete. The word, the key word is complete and model because he's not talking about perfect. He knows that there's no perfect parents. And so he's saying, here's what we need to do, guys. We need to make sure that we've leave, we leave again. We need to leave. The model of what it used to be, the way God intended it that's the complete picture he goes that's the way God intended it well what w- what am I supposed to do? Well, think about this, okay. We understand that completeness is having all the necessary or inappropriate parts, and when you think about when you think about the God ordained metaphysical union. It really is just simply the mystery of becoming one is understood to reflect the nature of complementary joining of the sexes into a new family union. So he's saying you need to leave what you think is, well, mom and dad. You need to leave how you used to be dependent on them. You need to leave. Now they, they grew up, they did their stuff. And regardless of how you're, how you saw them and and how, if, if they were part of your life and 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 we have to we have to do it the way God says because here's why now listen when i was just a baby my mom died of cancer and so i grew up in a home with a widowed single father i mean i'm talking from 1 year old i never saw what it was for someone for a couple to be married i never saw that much less a godly marriage And so I'm growing up going, I don't know what this means. And so I have to have a foundation. And so I have to go back to the word of God to go, oh, this is what it means. This is the way God intended marriage to be. So I need to learn and I need to be able to grow from that. Why? Because I'm going to leave something. I need to leave something. I need to transition. And I have to know that it has to be God's word. Why? Because if I place what I saw in life, then guess what? I don't know how to be married. And I think a lot of us are like that. Think about this. Think about this, and this happens to a lot of us. You grew up with your parents not being affectionate at all. You never saw them hold hands. You never saw them hug. You never saw them kiss. And so you grew up seeing that, and you thought that was normal. Okay? You thought thought that was normal. And so all of a sudden... Your husband, he grew up opposite. He, he grew up seeing his, his parents. Hug, and so he comes and hugs you and you're like, what are you doing? I'm just hugging you. I lo- uh, why? We have to have a foundation, right? So we need to leave the model of a complete family. And we need to understand how God defines family. You ready? He says, <clears throat> Adam and Eve in physical reproduction. In Genesis 1, 26-28, said, so God, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and he said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Let me stop right there, okay? Because the the way God intended marriage to be is first and foremost, Adam and Eve. He intended marriage, but he also intended family. Let me say this to you. If you are here, and you are newly married... And it's just you and your wife, you are family. I know you're waiting for me to boi- bust out the Pointer Sisters song, I'm telling you right now, but I'm not going to do it. You're family. You go, Ben, well, I thought, I thought when you add kids, that's when you become a family. No, kids add, is an addition to your family, but you're already a family. Did you know that? You're a family. And kids will just be an addition to that. Why? Because part of the leaving and cleaving is point number two. Cleaving is means you're starting your new family. You're starting a new family. Really? Yeah. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined. The Hebrew word translated for cleaved or joined or uh, is this. Check this out. It refers to one, the pursuing hard after someone else. And two, being glued and stuck to someone. Isn't that cool? That's what it means. When you got married, you got stuck. The great theologian, Huey Lewis in the news, sang it. He said, I'm happy to be stuck with you. That's what it means. Anyone over 30 got that? Probably 35. Anyone in there is like, who's Huey Lewis? I get it. That was a Ben, Huey Lewis. And did anybody know Huey Lewis in the news? Yeah, just a, just a couple, yeah. But that's what it means. You realize that, right? I'm happy to be... Now, you go, now, listen, I love being stuck to my man. I love being stuck to my wife. She's amazing. The Hebrew word means, guys, that that a man is to pursue hard after his, after his wife, after the marriage has occurred. The courtship should not end with the wedding vows. And he is to be stuck to her like glue. Now, let me say this, okay? I know it would be annoying if he were to follow you everywhere you went. Right, gals? You're in the kitchen. It's like, what are you doing? I just love you, baby. I'm stuck to you. You heard the pastor. He said, I'm being be stuck to you. I'm going to the restroom. I'm going with you. No, you're not. That's not what he's talking about what he's talking about guys is that man she's your one and only she's your one and only listen i i get it i get that we get comfortable in our relationships we have to work hard you have to work hard to come home and 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 see your wife the way you're supposed to see her and be stuck that's what that's what it means i'm joined i'm joined i'm stuck to her Like glue. Now, here's what I want you to see. When he says that you are to what? You begin a new family, the word cling and cleave, it means that we don't quit when things are not going right. We don't quit. And I don't care where you are today, today's a brand new day. Right now, wherever you are, You don't quit when things aren't going right. You stick with it. What does it mean? It includes talking things out, praying things through, being as patient as you trust God to work in your hearts, being willing to admit when you are wrong. Can I get an amen? We need to admit when we're wrong. Can I get an amen, gals? Yeah, see, there's not very many gals. I'm never wrong. We are, we are just never wrong. And if he would just learn that, then things would be good. And the guys were like, yeah, I'm always wrong. Man, I always say the wrong thing. Be willing to admit when you're wrong and asking for forgiveness. Asking for forgiveness. That's what it means. Guys, when you start your new family, as much as you take on your old family values You are now starting a brand new family on your own. And you're making memories and you're making traditions and you're being responsible for you. Now, it doesn't mean because you leave your parents that you forsake them, right? Because the Bible doesn't teach that. But it does not. And it doesn't mean like, well, you know, Pastor Ben said, I don't have to spend time with you guys anymore. That's not what it means at all. It means you honor them and you love them and you spend time with them. But you are your own family unit now. Why is this important, church? Why is this important? If you have little ones, if you're here and you have little ones, okay, and all your life you've poured into your little ones and you've never poured into each other, those kids are going to grow up and they're going to do the same thing. They're going to leave and cleave and you're going to find yourself looking at your wife going, we've been married 30 years and I don't even know you at all. We're not best friends. We don't have any fun. All we had in common were the children and that's why marriage is important. That you cultivate it now. Your kids are going to grow up, and they should leave you. I know that breaks your heart. I know, daddies, when your little kid goes, "I'm getting married." You see her as eight years old, and you're going, "No, you're not." But God does something so miraculously that you just okay. And you better have, you better have cultivated your relationship with your wife, because guess what. The kids are going to grow up and they're going to start their own new family because we're called. We're called to do that. Last but not least, guys, if you're here today, if you're here today, be a good example to your children about what marriage should look like. Let your kids see that you pray with each other. Let your kids see that that you're affectionate with each other. Let them see that all that God had desired when it came to a husband and wife, let them see that. Why? Because it's, it's God-ordained. It's God-instituted marriage. But not only that, guys, they'll see that you have a real walk with God. Okay, so next week, guys, we're going to finish up. We're going to finish up with, let me give you the three we're going to finish up with. And next week's going to be good. I'm telling you right now, because I got a video and everything. We're going to talk about the final, this final verse. We're going to talk about complimenting your wife. Your wife has a compliment. We're going to talk about the process of learning friendship and trust. That's going to be key. And then we're going to learn about deep intimacy between two people. Deep intimacy between two people. So that you don't want to miss next week, okay? Let me close with this story, and it's a great story. On their 50th wedding anniversary during a banquet and celebrating it, Tom was asked to give his friends a brief account and the benefits of marriage for being married so long. Tell us, Tom, just what is it that you've learned from all those wonderful years with your wife? An anonymous voice yelled from the back room. And Tom responded this. He said, quote, well, I've learned that marriage is the best teacher of all. Really, Tom, do tell. It teaches you loyalty. It teaches you meekness. It teaches you forbearance. It teaches you self-restraint, and it teaches you forgiveness. He says, and a great many other qualities you wouldn't need. If you'd stayed single, marriage is a great teacher, and we learn. Marriage is such a great teacher because it's such a beautiful picture of our walks with God. So if you're here today and you're married, you've got some good stuff. If you're here today and you're single, you've got some good stuff. But let me say this to you if you're here today and you're single, not because there's a guy in your life or a gal in your life, but you're single because you haven't given your life to Jesus. You hadn't surrendered completely. You, you're not the bride of Christ. And you go, Pastor, what are you talking about? I'm talking about spiritually, being in God's spiritual family. You're single because you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. And you know this because here's the bottom line. If, if you would ask yourself this question, if you said, Lord, if, if the Lord came back today and he came back for his church, I'm not sure if I would go because I don't, I don't know if I belong to Jesus. Listen, I know that a lot of us feel single in this room because we feel like we're a million miles away from God. But You may feel like you're a million miles away from God, but listen, you're one decision away from coming back to him. You know, all you have to say is yes. Because the God of the universe is calling you into a relationship with him. And all you have to do is surrender. You go, how, pastor? What do I need to do? Because I don't want to be single. I want God in my life. All you have to do right now is all you have to do is allow the spirit to say, yes, I want Jesus. I want to be saved. I want to go to heaven when I die. I want a relationship with him. I don't know how, how, pastor. In a minute, I'm giving you an opportunity. You do, well, what do I have to do? Do I have to like join the church? No, you'd have to join the church. But here's what you have to do. You have to confess that you're a sinner. Oh, I got that. Yep, I got that. I am a sinner. And that you need a savior. And then you need to repent. You need to turn from what you're doing and following and purpose to follow God. And then you need to invite Jesus in your heart. And you know what? You're one decision to do that. Well, how do I do that? Well, I'm going to ask you to do something really brave. You go, what's that? I'm going to ask you to just, here in a minute, I'm going to pray for you, but I'm going to ask you to lift your hand. Okay, nobody's going to watch you because this is between you. Pastor, why do I have to lift my hand? Why? I want God to see your heart. And if you're sincere with God and you really mean it, you don't want to be single anymore, you want to go to heaven, you want to be You want to be his bride, you want to be betrothed to him, just lift up your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. I just. And I'll lead you in a prayer. And we'll walk with you. And then we'll watch God do some incredible things in your life. Father, we thank you for your word today and the truth in your word. And Lord, I don't know, maybe there's one, maybe there's two. And you know, God. But I never want to leave a Bible study without an opportunity, God, for offering an invitation. God, there's a lot of single folks and they want to be married to you. And they don't know how. They're full of guilt. They're afraid to die, God, and they're tired of being lonely. And they're honestly empty inside. And Lord, I'm praying for them right now. And with every eye closed and every head bowed, I would just ask if you're if you're here today and you're tired of being single and you want to you get right with God, the God that created you, the God that loves you, if you're tired of being empty and lonely, today's your day. All you have to do is simply lift up your hand and say, Pastor, will you just pray for me? I want Jesus. I want Jesus. And then I'll just see. just go ahead and lift up your hand and I'll pray for you. God bless you, sister. If you're ready to surrender your life to God, will you just lift up your hand? Anyone else? Anyone else? Just right now. Listen, God's God's working on your heart. Anyone else? God knows your heart. Pastor... Pray for me. Just lift up your hand. I just God wants to see your heart, the sincerity of your heart. Are you single today and you want to be married to him? Just lift up your hand. Thank you, Lord, for the hands that were raised. I thank you for your heart, Lord. I pray, Lord, that we would surrender our lives to you. Forgive us of our sins, Lord Jesus. Come and take residence in our hearts. We love you, God.